Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you, people, I've been, I've been watching these debates. And I swear to God, they're on like every freaking night. It's it's like they're longer. There's more debates in the games in the NBA season. And I watch them, and I, I tweet to them, and I like that fun. But what I've noticed is, first of all, the Republican debates, because they I believe they won on Thursday, they're just like a bunch of little kids in the playground, which it scares me because I just watched a thing on CNN about the debate between Nixon and Kennedy. And when they debated, it was a big thing. Kennedy was uh, on his game. Nixon Nixon was worried. You could tell he was nervous. But they debated. I watched, the, I watched the Republican ones, and it's like kids. And then I watched the Democrat ones, and they start off nice, but then they become like two old married people it's like my father my father and my mom i never saw my father really yell at my mom but they argued about everything as my dad would say it's nitpicking and he would call my mom a pollyanna and they argue over something stupid that's what i see in the democrat debates the democratic debates they just they just argue and it's like you're watching it and you're like oh my god this is like my parents so anyway, that's just my feeling. Uh, we have a great show. We have a, we have we have a, I'm gonna get his, uh, we have two writers. I've been talking to this one guy. He's a Philly guy, and then we have a he's an Eagles Philly fan. Uh, Rob Cullen, how you doing, Rob? I'm well, Steve. How are you? Good. And we and we have Todd Hodges, who's a Jets and a Mets fan. That's true. Yes, I am both of those. And then now, how did you guys? We're gonna talk about your careers, sure. but but how did you guys meet? Because I don't know if you don't know, Rob, you've been writing you've been writing TV for a long time. Long time, about twenty years almost. And right now, now, now you grew up in Philly. I did, born and raised. And now, where did you go to school? I went to high school, St. Joe's Prep for a year. Then I moved out here. I moved to L.A. So I ended up because Loyola High School is the brother school, the brother Jesuit school of uh, of the prep. So I went to the uh, 17th and Girard, and then we moved out here. Uh, parents divorced, moved with my pop, who was a record producer, and um, went to Loyola High. Graduated from Loyola High. Well, the funny thing about St. Joe's Prep is I'm I'm 52. Okay. And a buddy of mine who's probably 54, who I met down in Stone Harbor, was a big football player for St. Joe's. His name was Joe McElane. Okay, He was a legendary running back. Like I guess it was a big city championship. And the guy who was a star got injured, and Joe ran for like 147 yards. Then he went to Princeton. Right. And that's how I knew St. Joe's. So so you went there. And, and my brother Mark played football there, so he was a year ahead of me. So And I'm 50. Mark's 51. Um, so kind of around that same time. But yeah. So now, now, when did you start getting into writing? Now, I mean, when you were a kid, were you funny, or what did you do? I was a late bloomer when it came to writing. Um, I was, so I went to UCLA for college, and my junior year there, uh, I became a DJ at the radio station there. Um, and I kind of fell in love. My dad was a record producer, and I kind of fell in love with, like, 70s and 80s R&B, and started playing a lot of that at uh at UCLA so then when it came time to decide what I wanted to do you know I ended up going I like playing music for a living so maybe I'll do that for a while and that ended up being almost 12 and a half years so you played were you a DJ out here I was I kind of traveled all over the world excuse me playing records and um yeah it was a great time so now, 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 you, now, Scott, you now. When did you start writing? And I know you were on radio. I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm a later bloomer, even actually. I started out in uh, in radio uh, back in New York City, uh, right after college, and uh, Trent you know, State. <laughs> that's right, Trent State. They call it the College of New Jersey. Now. I know. I, like, I guess it sounds fancier. I have no idea. You know what's screwed up about that? Because I went to when I went to Stockton, it was uh, Stockton State College, yeah. right? and then it was Richard Stockton College. Yeah. Now it's Richard Stockton University. <laughs> 
and the difference is when I went there, it was thirty two fifty a credit. Right. Now it's like twenty thousand a year and I go, It's the same damn school. <laughs> yeah, and that's at the beach, right? Uh, yeah, ten miles from Atlantic <laughs> City. But it's in the middle of Pine Barren, so it says it was like you go from like nothing, like the bars stayed open until five. Which is great, and you would, and they would all have college kids. When college broke down, I ended up, you know, we sit there, and then back then in in eighties, you could drink and drive. So you know, if the bars sucked, you drive to Margate, or you drive to, you know, where Maloney's and all, and, and all those Merrells were still open. And you, and you, you survived Atlantic City. Oh yeah, well Atlantic City, the gambling had just started, and it was a matter of you didn't, we didn't really go to Atlantic City because it was sort of like we weren't into the club scene, and we we're more into like the bar scene because yeah. you're young kids. But now, so you now, what was your major in Trenton? State? Uh, communications. Okay, so, so you, knew, you knew you wanted to follow. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, you know, when I came out here, um, I, excuse me, I continued my radio career, and then somehow met this guy over here, Rob Cohen. <laughs> And uh, we started working on a few things together, and now you know now we're working together again. So I've been working him on and off for the last ten years. Now, now you were doing the DJ. You're traveling, so you were like a club DJ. Was that what you were? I was. I was mixing all over the country. I played a lot in LA. Um, then I went to Miami for a while. I went to Spain for a while. I went to Ibiza for a while. Um, and you know, being a club DJ is great for like the first six years, and then it becomes like a real job. Well, what is it like, I mean, for you now, looking back at it, because now club DJs have blown up. I mean, they're getting like... I was ahead of my time once again. Yeah, they're getting like... They're, they're, million, I mean, they're millionaires. I, mean, I know. I, I, they get like 150000 a show or this and that. I'm like, what was it like? I mean, what what is the difference between, let's say, when you were DJing and these guys? Was there even a difference? I was... No. I mean, you know, again, a lot of the music, it's so... I was spinning records. You know, I was working four turntables when I played a nightclub. Um, now it's all computerized. So I think the skill level is completely diminished. Um, but they become personalities, you know, just like anybody else. So, you know, if they have the look, they have the vibe and they hit a niche and they can press play and they can press play (laughs) (laughs) DJ bashing. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, I'm not. Um, yeah, it was, um, you know, I would make, and I was on the very high end of things at the time. You know, I'd make a thousand bucks a night. Well, that's good, though. You can't complain about that. No, I was in my 20s. I was traveling the world. Everything was first class, and it was great. Um, but, you know, they're making... I, I know a kid who makes 500 grand a night now. That's insane. That's ridiculous. That New makes- Year's Eve, this guy played three parties. He played for an hour and a half at each party, and he walked out with 175. See, that's Dang. that's just sick. Just to think that, you know, that's like... that's that's. You're a DJ. I, I'm sorry, but it's like, even like, you, you think athletes are overpaid. You know, when I see like Brock Osweiler's going to get 15 million, I go, he's played four <laughs> games, you know? And then uh, Sam Bradford. Yeah, and Kirk Cousins gets 20 million. I go, he had eight good games. Look what happened when Washington gave RG3 that money. Kirk Cousins is not a $20 million quarterback. No. And we we scoff at that. But to play house parties and make one, I mean, you know, you can work almost $2 million for. Four and a half hours of work. So you can work one night and just take the rest of the year off. Absolutely. And then you sit there go every six months, you know. I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, I, I should have been a DJ. Yeah. I'm I, in the wrong. <laughs> I was, again, I was born in the wrong, I was born in the wrong era. It was great, but it was, you know, there comes a point where you're, 
you know, you're playing Can't Touch This. Right. For the 80,000th time that you go, all right, I, uh, th- maybe this is not exactly what I should be doing. See, it's funny you say because I always think about, like, going to the Jersey beaches, the guitar players who played Brown Eyed Girl every night, and you think at one point... Sweet Caroline? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah, it's You think, though, you must sit there after a while and go... Holy crap! You know, okay, and they're good, and they're good, and the thing is, there a lot of them are good musicians. But then after a while, you're going, I gotta play this damn song again, again. And people are sitting there and expecting it. And it's like I understand when you're in a band, you know, and people go and say, you know, hey, play, you know, Jackson Brown, play right, Running on Empty. Right. But when you're a, co- it's not even your song. It must just suck. It, it it does, and it's also, you know, when you're, you've been playing for two hours, and it's three o'clock in the morning in Ibiza right and everybody's <laughs> hammered and on drugs um the requests come much more frenetic and it's always the same song it's always whatever is happening at that moment and you know you're not going to play the same song seven times it's right. not going to happen but they just keep pounding you and they're hammered so it's very hard to get through to them so then what was your major at UCLA kinesiology i had been injured like my whole life playing sports so I thought I should probably learn about what's breaking down on me um, and wanted to go to medical school. But the minute I started playing records, I kind of felt like this kind of entertainment thing is kind of where I feel most comfortable. So you're doing the records and now it, at any time in the back of your records and also you when you were doing the radio, at any time did you think you guys end up getting into the career of TV writing and for, you know, you've created some shows and you've directed and you're, you've written, I know you wrote uh, on Mr. Robinson with and you. Back in the game, and, and back in the game. And back in the game. worked on the latest, but, latest but movie. Now, which uh, Ken uh, Zakari, what's his name, was in that your latest movie. That yes, he was on the Ken's show. Karian. He had, he was shooting that when he was on the show. Yes, and uh, so now, what? When did you decide you were going to sit there and and write TV? I mean, how was it? Just a bowl popped in your head because you're in the right area. The, the bowl popping in my head was my brother Mark. Okay, so Mark had always wanted to be a writer and was pursuing a career as a writer and was doing great. You know, he sold some features. Um, he sold a show to MTV called Hits H I T Z, which was about the record company with Spencer Garrett. With Spencer Garrett. And Andrew Dice Clay. Right, okay. So that's when, you know, I had come back from the road. I'd been married, so it was hard to be on the road so much being married. And I started doing stand-up, dabbling in it, um, and kind of hung out with my brother a lot at the show and met Dice and became really good friends with Andrew. So I'd go out a lot with Andrew and kind of work with him. And um, Mark one day said, why don't we write something together? It seems like it might be fun. So we sat down at a coffee shop and, you know, tried it out for a week. And it ended up being a blast. So what was that? What was you, what did you write for the first? What was it what you wrote? It was called Mickey Black Game Show Messiah. It was um, hard to describe. An insane half hour about the behind the scenes of a game show. And um, Kevin Riley, who was working at FX. Excuse me. <clears throat> got a hold of it and um he said i love this i can't make it pitch me two more things i'll buy one of them and so that's kind of how it started with so us. what'd you pitch the show ended up called lucky okay so now now when now did you even have an idea you wanted to write well, i mean it's funny well, first of all, why'd you move out here 
Well, originally I, I moved out here for a job, and then I stayed for a girl, and then I got another nice. job. <laughs> what, now, what, what, kind of, what kind of job did you move out for? Yeah, for, I was producing uh, sports talk radio out here for a local station, and I did the afternoon drive show, and it was great. And uh, all of a sudden, I, was, I lived in Santa Monica. And we used to go to this bar, and I met the bartender, introduced me to Rob, who was a big sports guy. O'Brien's down on Main Street in Santa Monica. <laughs> I, 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 exactly. I just stand up there one time. I, I don't do stand-up much, but they used to have it, and it's, I still think they still do it. And I believe... Uh, Jamie Keller. Jamie Keller worked there. And That's I, right. And I think uh, Mark Valley... No, no, Valley... I think Mark Valley used to hang out there, the actor. He might have, yeah. But uh, Keller was a bartender, I believe. Yeah. Keller was a bartender. I know Jamie for forever. And okay. I try to put... Jamie in a lot of my shows. You know, because I, I remember sitting there. I did comedy there one night, and it was like there was no one there, and it was like in the back room. <laughs> yes, on and that I, stage, I was sitting there going, that lonely stage. Yeah, and it was like, and I remember I went with this uh, the young kid, this young comic, and I, I had done comedy back east, but I got been out of the business, and I was fooling around with it here. Right. When they'd see me, I do well, and we went on stage, and there was like five people, and I ate it and he and he goes up and he's like oh my god i've never seen you do bad i'm gonna completely eat it and i said i said dude it's five people it's, yeah. it's a small room. so you guys yeah, so, yeah exactly and then you know i we had always like bounce each other uh stuff off each other for our jobs at the point and then i was in between a producing gig and i was like hey man i'd like to get it get a shot working on a show and so that's how that's how we started working together. So I like you know I he definitely I definitely owe it to Rob and his brother Mark for for definitely bringing me into the business like that. Now had you ever written TV and did you think you could write comedy because comedy's not an easy thing to write? Well, when you're doing a live show every day, you're constantly writing. So that's the thing. It's like a, it's a big 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 show every day live. So when I when I when I you know went on to work on the TV side, it's it's your it's a constant amount of uh, you know information, but you just kind of get to work on it a little bit longer. So for me, the hardest part was is taking that that taking all of that. Creativity and then making it into a show instead of putting a live show on every day. So that that to me was like the biggest challenge when I moved over. But it's something I always wanted to do, and you know I was I'm so thankful to be able to do what I'm doing right now. And it becomes sure. about it becomes about learning structure at that exactly. point. Like you know people who are funny, right? You're either funny or you're not. Um, and if you are funny, you can find a way to kind of figure out the TV landscape, figure out how to write a script. You know, if you're funny. That's 90% of it. The other 10% of it is, you know, figuring out how to get a story done in 25 pages or whatever you're doing. Now, you were writing comedy, and then Gary the Rat and Heist and all this. So you were you were doing mostly uh, sitcoms. Yeah, well, Heist was an hour. Heist was a dramedy. And that was with Billy Gardell, I believe. That was, with Billy Gardell and Rena Williams, who ended up being partners together on Mike and Molly for right. six seasons. Yeah, uh, Lucky was, so we started with Lucky uh, before my voice went out. Um which was for FX. It was their first kind of half hour. They had they had the Shield, right? They had the Shield. The Son of the Beach had just been canceled because Kevin Riley took over. Um, and Lucky was about you know degenerate gamblers in Las Vegas. It was John Corbett. It was Billy Gardell, and it was Craig Robinson, who I've been you know remained friends with all these all these years. And Craig Robinson at the time was somewhat an unknown though. He wasn't really I mean he wasn't known that he wasn't that big. I mean he, he had done was, he had done some commercials and this was really kind of the first show and he played a character named Mother Legendre. Okay. And <laughs> um, we saw everybody for it. And like who? Uh, you name it. So everyone wanted this part. Everybody wanted this part. And this kid came in, this young big guy and just killed it because the mother's part in the show was um he's always funny but he had the heart and so if the guys came in and just played the jokes 
the character never really translated. And once Craig come in, came in, um, he gave the heart and he like won it in the room. So you do that, and then you, now you're on a roll. You're doing some different shows. We get nominated for the Emmy now, for that show. For writing? For Lucky. For Lucky. Okay, so now what's that like? Did you go to the Emmys? I did. Now what is it like? Because I know I've had uh, Lou Schneider was on who wrote for Everyone Loves Raymond. Right. And he said, and he's not a drinker. I know you're a drinker. You're a Philly guy. 100%. Yeah. But he said, what's great about, no, he says, it's great about winning an Emmy. And he's not a drinker. He said, when they won the Emmy for Everyone Loves Raymond, he goes, you could walk anywhere in downtown or whatever in LA with a drink in your hand and an Emmy. And an Emmy. And no one said, excuse me, you're drinking. <laughs> So what's it, how old were you when you, when you went to the Emmys? God, this was 2003, okay. so 13 years ago. So 36. And that was your first, pretty much your first show. Yeah, it was my, it was kind of my first job in show business was, you know, and I know people are going to hate to hear this, was showrunner. I mean, my first job ever was showrunner. Because, you know, Kevin Riley at FX, I, I can't owe him enough, but we said, you know, we, okay, so Mark had done the show Hits. He didn't get to run it, and you could tell a little piece of Mark died every day not being in control of that show. So when we sold this thing, we kind of decided that we're not going to let that happen again. So we told Kevin we're going to run the show or, you know, we'd prefer not to make it. Um, and Kevin said, then we're not going to make it. And finally, Kevin called back and said, just, can I curse on here? Yeah. Kevin said, don't fuck it up. Okay. And then he hung up the phone. <laughs> So Mark and I kind of went at this, and Mark had a lot more experience than I did, but we went at this thing like, this is of our voice, that's the reason they bought this, let's be true to our voice and true to the show, and I think having such little experience at the time um, was actually very helpful, um, because we just, everything was from our gut, and so yeah, so we got nominated for the Emmy, we go to the Emmys, and we are, I think, the second category up. That's a long show, so we had a couple cocktails in the in the limousine, going up there to kind of you know take the nerves away, and you know having done that whole party circuit that you have to do with all the interviews and stuff, to a person everybody said you guys are going to win. It's easy, um, so you know we were. I was a little maybe ahead of myself. Um, and so we're the second category up, and we lose to, every, to Everybody Loves Raymond, okay? <laughs> so the whole night shot. Over. So now I got to sit for two hours, <laughs> and so it just becomes me and my friend Steve, who went with me, becomes this run to the bar, and we just get obliterated. And my friend Steve, so Francis Ford Coppola is sitting in front of us, and we are, you know, easy five martinis in each at this point and the in memorandum or the in uh, memoriam comes on and my friend steve is so drunk that everything out of his mouth is five times louder than it should be <laughs> and every face that comes up on the screen is he died <laughs> she's dead i didn't know she died He's dead? And Francis Ford Coppola turns around and says, they got to be dead to be in the fucking movie. <laughs> and then he turned back around. And that kind of sobered us up for pretty well. And so, yeah, it was, it was, tongue it was yeah. unbelievable to be nominated. Um, we really wanted to win. Um, but it was 
like an experience of a lifetime. It was super cool. And then once that happens to you, kind of everything explodes from there. So yeah, so you're nominated for Emmy, so you start getting writing gigs. Now, now for you, when you came out to, to be in a radio here, I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. I know you said you met Rob, so yeah. it sat there and you started writing. Right. But it's a matter of, were you unhappy with radio or no, were you sitting there going? Yeah, well, what happened to me was I had been doing it for about 15 years and uh, I had I just at one point I'd said, you know, there's something more for me that I want. I want to try something new because I had, you know, I'd worked in New York City and Los Angeles. I was at the top of both markets and I had a, a desire to, 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 to challenge for a new challenge. So that's that's why ultimately I started writing uh, for television is that's what I wanted to do next. And I was, you know, lucky enough to get the chance. Were you writing like spec scripts before Absolutely. you met him? So Absolutely. You, so it was on your mind. So oh, totally. It wasn't just like. No, no. It's like, cool. So let me say one day. It's like, this is a career path that I wanted to follow. I had just been in a, like, a, I had done what I, you know, what I had first started right out of college. And I was like, I'm ready for the next challenge. And I, I, you know, I'd worked on it all the way through. But yeah, so obviously, yeah, it was just a great, great, you know, great progression. Now, what year did you move out here? It was 1999. Okay, and now where did you, you said you lived in Santa Monica? I lived in Santa Monica at first, but I lived in Venice for the last 15 years. Okay, now where was the first place you moved when you when you came out here? Well, you, you, you went to high school here. Yeah, I went to high school here, so my dad at the time was living in San Marino, which is up in South Pasadena. Okay. Very ritzy kind of neighborhood and took, yeah, coming from a great ritzy neighborhood like that, took like 11 buses to get to Loyola High okay. School, which was great. <laughs> I had to leave at 4.30 in the morning. Um... Then went to UCLA, lived on campus uh, for the first year, then moved to Westwood, um, then just mostly West Side. But I've been in the marina for 20 years. For uh, me, it was like, if I'm going to move away and move out, I'm going to live at the beach. That's the, that's the way. That was my thinking when I first got out here. I was like, I love the beach back east, but it's only good for you know three months out of the year. So it's like, I'm going to move out where it's warm, so I'm going to live at the beach all, all year long. That was my reasoning for always wanting to stay at the beach. I've never left, you know? Were you, were you a uh, Point Pleasant guy, a seaside guy? You, no, you, you're no, you're no. like a Belmar guy. <laughs> you, you nailed it. You're a Belmar guy. <laughs> you nailed it. I, I'll tell you, I, I was an Ocean City guy. Ocean, Ocean. Uh, Mac and Mancos. There you go. Oh, and they just got uh they got busted last year. For yes, they did. And if they had just paid the fine, it would have been. I when I was a junior in high school, I had a summer, and my brother had my brother lived. My brother was a legend on the Jersey Shore, and because uh, my brother looked like Barry Gibb, the Bee Gees back <laughs> in the day. It works. You know, he had that look, and it works. And I remember I, was, I, I had advanced classes, and I was talking to this girl, and she goes, "Your brother's Tom Cooper." Oh my God! His beach house was insane. I'm like, I don't want to hear. Yeah, I don't want to know about it. I, I lived. I lived though. Uh, my parents let me live with my buddy my junior year. In we lived like on 12th, right near a place called Checkers. No, there's. I think it was a diner. Right. But I used to go. I used to go to Jilly's Arcade all the time. All the time. And try to pick up girls. And my buddy used to walk with them. My friend Mark Esposito would walk with a tune box, and we play. With Blue Oyster Cult, yeah, man. <laughs> which is the best music to play if you're going to get laid. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. So, that's the winner. And so, so now you went. You went to Belmar. I used. I used to hang out in Belmar. Yeah, there, there's. You know, I'm sure there's still several places in Belmar. I can't. I can't walk into. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually for Stockton, we had a reunion at a bar M, bar A, bar M. One of oh, those, bar A in bar, in Belmar. Yeah. yeah. So I, I went there because I never been to Belmar, and I was amazed. I went to the beach, and it was like half was like Stone Harbor, half was like Snooky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Going, going, I, I got my ass kicked at Barre. <laughs> I mean, my brother and I started a big fight. We got we got beaten up by the bouncers. It was a great it was a great night. It was a great night. I'll <laughs> it, tell you that. It may have been a bouncer who's an actor named married to the actress Mo Collins. His name's Alex Scooby. There you go. And he was a bouncer for Barre. a long time up yeah, there. Yeah. So he may have beat your ass. <laughs> he may have. Scooby Dewey. <laughs> so you know Scooby? I I've met 
few times. Uh, okay. Yeah. I went to his Christmas party this year, and my girlfriend's not in the business, and there's all these commercial people there, and she's like, holy crap, there's a guy from the Honda commercial. There's, <laughs> there's a progressive guy. So, so you're, you're writing. Now, now, how did you parlay into the movies? Because I know you've done some movies that started writing movies. Was that just a natural occurrence? It was, um, it, it was natural, but it was also slightly planned. We had done a pilot for Showtime called Manchild with John Corbett that we worked with on Lucky together, Kevin Smith, the director and the actor, um, and some other amazing people. And we loved the pilot. You know, we shot it. It was beautiful. It was funny. Um, and there was no way they weren't picking this up in our minds. Um, they didn't pick it up. And that was like a huge kind of punch in the gut. How do you react to that when you're a writer, when something seems so right? I know that happened to Keller. He said he was in a sh uh, pilot with Clooney right. and all these people, and it didn't get picked up. How does it happen to you when it's something that you know it's you know it's great work? You're the writer, and you know, and you sit there and go, "This is great work." Well, and it tests great, and everybody right. tells so, you it's great, and there's no reason for it not to be on. So, what was the read? Did they did they sit there and tell you a reason? Did they go, "Okay, yeah, Rob"? They, they were very honest about it, and they were they were amazing. Unfortunately, they didn't pick it up, but they were amazing in how honest they were about it. And it was you know, Californication was the other pilot they had made, and you know, they were very much um, in business with David Duchovny. And Bob Greenblatt was running Showtime at the time. And, you know, they said, listen, we only have enough money for one of these. We spent so much money on Rome. I think that was their miniseries. Um, we really only have money for one. But we are going to fly to New York and we're going to ask Les Moonves for the money to make both because we believe in them, you know, equally. Um, and then, you know, the thing about when you do a pilot, when you get picked up, the president of the network calls. When you pass, your agent calls you. So, you know, a week had gone by. They went to New York, and, you know, we got a call, Bob Greenblatt, on the phone for you. And we were like, oh, thank God. Um, and he goes, guys, listen, I did everything I can. We love the show. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to make it. Um, and that was it was tough because, you know, it's one of those things. Sometimes when you write a pilot or you make a pilot, you know what the next 10 are going to be but it's always in a vacuum so you're not exactly sure who's going to hit or what character is going to pop and all that stuff we had about 200 man childs okay ready to go you know and so instinctually it was this thing's going to run for a very long time because we know exactly what's going to happen and when they said no it was it was a gut punch because everything seemed right and, you know, there was just no rhyme or reason. And that's, listen, that's one of the things you have to get used to. You're so lucky to get a make a pilot, you know, much less get your script through all these other scripts. Um, and then to go to series, you know, which, you know, we've done seven times now, all the stars have to align. So, you know, we are respectful of that. It was just, that's one that hurt for a long time. And so, you know, my brother Mark, his, you know, he's got two beautiful boys. Aiden and Beckett, and they were at the age where Mark wanted to spend more time at home with them. So it just became very obvious after not picking up Manchild that this would be a good time to stay at home and really start focusing on our feature career. And, and that's now, how that process started. And now what was your first feature? The first feature is what ended up becoming Cop Out. So now what's that like? You know, you're, it's, your, it's your first feature writing. Okay, now, now you have had luck. You're first lucky you get nominated for an Emmy that you should have won, and then but you didn't. And then your friend, 
wouldn't shut the fuck up at the at the Emmys. <laughs> at the Emmys. And Francis Ford Coppola yelled at him. So right there, you know, right there, you can walk away. It's a good away. year. It's a good career. It's a good and I mean, you can sit there and you can walk away going, oh my God, you know, man, I, I've, I've lived, this is, I mean, but so now you sit there and all of a sudden, when you wrote that, did you know all these stories? How did the whole process of, you know, Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan, all these people lining up, how did that all happen? Did it, it was, it's cannibal or? It was crazy. So... Mark and I wrote a script called uh, A Couple of Dicks, which was a very small movie about two older detectives who had been partners for almost 15 years. And we loved the movie Freebie and the Bean. I remember that. Okay. With Jimmy Kahn and was it Alan Arkin? Alan Arkin San Francisco. for us... We love that movie, and we kind of wanted to do our version of Freebie and the Bean. And Freebie and the Bean is basically no plot. It's just two guys fucking yelling at each other right. for two hours. <laughs> and in me and Mark's world, that's what we do. We sit there, and Mark's very different than I am, and we just fucking yell at each other. So let's put that down on paper. So we wrote this, and it's basically, you know, the movie was a love story between these two cops. And, you know, one of them's going through one thing and the other's going through one thing, but they come together. And it was a very small movie. Um, so w- we sent that into our agents and they sent it around. And it got on the blacklist, which is kind of that list of best unproduced screenplays. And so I think we were the, in terms of their voting, like the second or third best screenplay of the year. And then Paul Brooks, who's a producer, an amazing guy who did. Um, my big frat Greek wedding, pitch perfect, you know, um, he goes, let's make this movie. You guys direct it and you know, let's, let's just, let's do it. So Mark and I thought about who we'd like to be the two guys. And it was for us, Robin Williams and Jimmy Gandolfini. So, but we wanted Robin to play the straight character. Okay. And we wanted Jimmy to be a really funny guy. So we sent the script to Robin. Robin loved it. So we went to San Francisco, to Robin's house, unfortunately, where that all went down, and spent the day with him. It was amazing. And uh, he goes, I'm in. So then we met Jimmy at the hotel in Beverly Hills. The Beverly Hills Hilton? No. the uh, the, Anyway, so we meet Jimmy, and he goes, I'm not that funny. And I go, no, you're really funny. And I go... You know, this is a, this is something that needs to be played straight. The straighter you play it, the funnier it is. So Jimmy agreed to uh, do it. So Mark and I were location scouting. We're going to do a little movie. We're going to shoot it in Portland. And for whatever reason, the week before we were supposed to start shooting, the money fell out, as what happens in small movies all the time. So our agent at the time, uh, Cliff Roberts, WME, sent the movie to Warner Brothers. And Sarah Schechter and some other people there got a hold of it and said, we'll do it right away. Um, Mark Platt, who's a big producer, um, got involved. And then they said, well, we think it could be a slightly bigger movie. Um, And somehow it got to Bruce. And then once Bruce said yes, the budget went from, you know, our small little movie was going to be $9 million to $35 million. Okay. And Warner Brothers said, I don't think you guys are going to direct the $35 million movie on your first go. And then somebody at Warner Brothers had just seen Tracy on the Emmys, and he gave that ridiculously crazy speech. And they came back with the idea, why don't we throw Tracy at Bruce and see if that sticks? 
and Tracy came in, and him and Bruce were really, really funny together. And then it became about the director, and, you know, Kevin Smith had been, you know, we worked together, so I loved Kevin. I still love Kevin. We've been friends for a long time. Kevin had been persona non grata at Warner Brothers for a long time, and something changed to where Jeff Rabinoff at Warner Brothers said, I think Kevin Smith would be great with this. And then Kevin had just done the last Die Hard movie as an actor with Bruce, and they got along famously when they did that. So there was your package. It was Bruce Willis, Tracy Morgan, Kevin Smith, and let's go to New York and make a movie. So now you do the movie. Now, now, what happens? Why do you gravitate back to TV? Because most people will sit there. You know, you've had the luck, and you know you're sitting there, and you know, you you probably in the back of your head are sitting there going, you know, the next movie you write, you can probably direct. Absolutely. I mean, and so, so you sit there. So what happens with the TV? And then that's where you come in because you know after after Cop Out, then is that when you did Back in the Game? Well, we did. Here's the thing about movies: uh, they make five of them a year now. So we had written, I think, nine studio movies in three years, which is a great living. It's an unbelievable living. One got made, and that was Cop Out. So what TV, what you, you come to immediately is that they make TV shows. They make lots and lots and lots of TV shows. Especially now. I mean, everyone has. I mean, it's, there's so many networks. It, it's unbelievable. So for movies, you can write 50 movies and maybe one or two get made because they have all the time in the world because they're trying to figure out where it's going to fit in their slot. TV is immediate. You write it, you shoot it, it's on, you know, and that's what we were missing. So we went right back into TV. You know, it was, it was three or four years that we wrote strictly movies and made an unbelievable living doing it. And then when we came back to TV, all the executives had changed and we didn't know how that was going to play. But you still had some juice because you had a name because, I mean, the bottom line is I know there's new executives, but you also, you'd written movies. And, and we, had, we had a track record, but still, when, you, when you're out of it four years, you don't know if anybody's going to remember you or not, okay. or anybody's going to care. And so our first meeting was at NBC to pitch what was called um, Bad News Bitch, which ended up being back in the game. Because Mark had coached his sons in Little League, and then I joined Mark in coaching Little League in Santa Monica, and we saw the parents at these events and we go that's a show oh, yeah. between the kids and the parents that's a show so we walked into nbc and they go cullen cullen's where the fuck have you been so it was like kind of very nice that they had you know that they were very welcoming but now now wasn't that show on abc though that was so we pitched uh, we pitched to all the networks and they all bought it which is always unbelievable then it becomes who's going to give you the best deal and for us at the time, ABC said, well, we'll guarantee you the pilot will be made. And you're not going to do much better than that. Now, at the time, were you already looking at Scott's work? I mean, had you, you, know, you know each other from the bar. And that's like anything, you know. And that, that's one thing I always say. There's something about East Coast sports fans. Like, I can go to a bar in Burbank, and I, you know, I go, I was talking to this Ralph Garman about this last <laughs> week. Yes. That I, I, I go to Black Angus when the Eagles aren't on TV. And and. and Thank God for me. My girlfriend's a huge Eagles fan, too. Right. And so we go to Black Angus, and the bartender, there's no one ever in there, and the bartender saves us at one seat and puts the volume. And it's great. They have, like, happy hour all day. They have 15 games on. But this, you know, I started talking to this Eagles fan, and he's a young kid. He's a punk. And, uh, <laughs> and he, But it turns out he's not from he's not from Philly. 
and he has a Carrie Williams jersey, which I'm like, who oh, the hell is geez. that? But I'm saying, but usually, you know, but when I go out, I, I bonded with a lot of Philadelphia sports fans. They're just East Coast sport fans. So that so that's how you guys started yeah, talking. Yeah, exactly. We'd, we'd argue at the bar, really. I mean, but, but how did the whole thing about you writing scripts come up? Well, I started listening to the show Scott was producing. Which was, who was the host? Uh, at the time, it was uh, uh, Chris Myers and Bob Golick, the old uh, the nose yeah. tackle. Yeah, yeah Eagles. Yeah. And and no, the Raiders. Uh, that, Raiders and Bob. yeah, his yeah, brother, his brother Mike. played on and that Mike. line. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. And so I've been listening to his stuff, and you know, we would talk a lot that night, or you know, the next day after the show, going, you know, the, that was really funny. You did this, really funny that you did this. And he said, "I'm working on a, sp- a spec. I'd love for you to read it." And I'm like, "Of course, I'd read it. It was really funny. It was just a relationship show, but very New Jersey, very in your face, very R-rated, which wasn't, you know, I wasn't reading a lot of at the time. And so I knew." instinctually he understood character and understood the joke where the joke is that's the toughest thing um and then it was about you know the a story the b story and and the ins and outs so i read this spec and i went yeah you you got this you got this and you're somebody that i would love to just sit more and talk with and so that's where that kind of came from and grew from so you sort of mentored him a little bit and helped you and helped you because it must it must be great because you you knew him before absolutely so it's like it's like a friend it's not like you know in hollywood so many people sit there and they're like hey hey you know hey, you, you, I, and you must run to it all the time <laughs> every and, day i mean and it's funny, i mean i get i get stuff on, on facebook sometimes you know a lot of comics can we come on your show and i have to be nice and sure. it's not i'm no star i'm no i'm not a name but yeah. i get don't say yourself I get, come I get, on i get i get very big acts you're as hip yeah. as the guests yeah. that you yeah. get. But no, I get i get i get some pretty big acts so you sit there and you have to explain to them hey man you know i it's a process i don't you know I, you know i don't really do many comedians but if i'm gonna do a comedian it's gonna be rich shiner or wendy liebman or, or legends right. who have become friends sure i must them are cool but some get it you know, they don't respond back to you yeah and so you must go through that a lot where someone goes hey can you read my script and then they probably see you go do you read my script and you're like no because i you know i have nothing else to do I- Producing a show, I could just sit there and read your freaking script. I used to be much nicer, not only nicer, more accommodating because, you know, when we first started, somebody read our script. Right. Somebody was nice enough from a friend of a friend to read it, and that ended up getting to Kevin Riley. So that was a big deal for me, knowing that somebody went out of their way to read it. Um, so early on, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll spend some time. I'll, I'll go through it. I'll give you some. And then then it keeps coming and keeps coming and they're not good and you don't want to crush somebody's you know and and who am i to tell you you can't do this i'm a, I'm a fucking idiot and i do this for a right. living so i'm never going to tell somebody they can't but then it just became you know what i'm way i'm just slammed in my own stuff and i want to give your stuff the appropriate time but i just can't right now so that's that's the best way to handle it so now you read his script and now now had you this was after the show. Had you started the show? Hadn't started the show yet. But did you know it was a, it was a go? Yes. We had pitched the show. We had sold the show to ABC. And, you know, the pilot, you don't bring anybody on. You bring, you know, your friends in to punch up before, you know, you shoot the pilot. So I invited Scott to that. And he had a real strong showing at that. Um, as a lot of the friends I ended up hiring or, you know, other writers that we ended up hiring on the show. So he was very good at that, you know, and that's a sense of, you really have to get a sense of how people are going to be in the room because the writing room is a weird, difficult place. Now, what's it like for you? Now, all of a sudden you're in the room, you're used to radio and it's a completely different world. And now you must, you you must be sitting there with a little bit of nervousness because you don't want to screw up because here's here's what you've been waiting for because you said, I want to, and you know, one, you must be very excited, but two, you don't want to be like, 
the new guy. Like you're coming in with talented guys. You don't want to be like as I always compared like when I used to the wait. world's worst pitch. Yeah, or like when I used to wait tables. The idiot who comes, hey, uh, hey, you're in my old restaurant. Yeah, we don't give a crap. Yeah, don't you know, this is this isn't this isn't you know Fud Ruckers. No, it was you know? it was amazing. I you you just you, you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly how it is. You you're there on your first day, and you know the people's credits are on you, and you know you know you just trying to to. S- make sure you're adding to what's going on and it's like a giant overwhelming feeling and it, it's a rush i gotta be honest with you and uh, you know it was it was a great experience and you know it's one i love and one i you know one i hope to continue to do it's great and you find that people either sink or swim in that environment because when you're talking about a network comedy at 8 30 that's the major leagues that's a job everybody yeah. wants. You know, that's what everybody strives to, to be in that room for the comedy in the middle of the week in a, in a great time slot. And it's the majors. So if you swing and miss, you're, you're not going to last. It's going to go away, and everybody's going to know that you're the guy who's not holding his weight or her weight. So, you know, he handled himself very admirably, which is why I kept Thank hiring you. him. No, you but, know, but the thing is, it's like, because you're, you're, it's a group effort, but you're also very much alone. So that's, that's a very hard emotion to to handle really because you're there working for a common goal but at the same time you're proving your worth so it's very it's very tricky and it's it's a very interesting situation it is very weird because i actually I, I did a thing a little while ago i had yakov schmirnoff on my show okay and he was uh and i ended up giving him a little bit of coaching on how to host because he had a podcast and he wanted to do a tv thing and i just said hey can i just come and just do it and right. i ended up sitting there going into the people had written some stuff, but I went in and I, I didn't want to take over. But they <laughs> yeah. said, bring ideas, yeah. you know, and so I brought like 35 ideas for uh, things <laughs> just because they were basic. And right. I sat there and it's true because I mean, this and this wasn't a network thing. This was in one person's living room and sure. there was three other people. And, you know, I, I felt weird saying, hey, well, how about this? But then I ended up, me and Yakov had a guy hit, hit it off because he's right. We had spent an hour on the show and then, you know, that. Yeah. And that's one thing. But when you're walking in, it's it's the big guns, man. It it's is. Like, it really and, is. And, and you're this radio kid from <laughs> Trenton much. State. You yeah, know, pretty it's, much. Like, who's, this, who's this Jets fan? Who's this Mets fan? And, and comedy rooms are fucking brutal. Right. Because everybody's got ego. Yeah. Everybody's got jokes. And you make that pitch that makes the showrunner go, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Everybody destroys you. Everybody. It's, it's like and it a, goes on for months. Yeah, it's like Remember a, when you pitched that fucking closet right. thing? What the <laughs> fuck? Were, you know, it never ends. So, you know, you got to be careful, but you also have to bring what it is you bring. Now, when the show went to pilot, yeah. was James Kahn attached to him? How did you feel? Because being a fan of Freebie and the Bean, that must have been amazing. First of all, James Conn, the Godfather. I mean, yeah, it's sunny. sunny yeah. yeah, I mean, so you're sitting there, and for you, for yeah. your first job, and Maggie Absolutely. Lawson was coming off Psych, which Psych was yeah. a very funny show, and was a monster. And you know, I had worked with Jimmy at Las Vegas. Okay, so when Heist, okay, so we did uh, nine episodes of Heist at NBC, and when that show had ended, they asked us. They still owed us some money on our contract, and they asked us if we would go down to Las Vegas and help that show out. Fine, and Mark and I had never worked on anybody else's show before, so it was a weird thing for us. Um, but we ended up going to Las Vegas, and the people there were so kind and so amazing, and so kind of, listen, you guys know what you're doing. Just do your own thing, you know, and write a few scripts for us, and produce them, and you know, have a blast, and it just takes some some of the stuff off our table. We met Jimmy, so Jimmy calls us to his trailer. And Mark, Mark and I go in, and he's wearing Paco Rabanne underpants and nothing else, okay? And 
you know, Jimmy's got tufts of hair, and he's been a stuntman, and, you know, and he's, he walks crooked, and it looks like he has an extra rib for some reason. And he goes, you're the brothers. And we go, yeah. And he goes, don't try so fucking hard here. I go, what does that mean? He goes, just don't try so fucking hard here. <laughs> okay, it's good to meet you. Anyway, from that, we just be- we hit it off. I loved Jimmy. I loved working in Vegas. And I loved Jimmy. So when we wrote back in the game, our first instinct was, if we're going to have a curmudgeon old bastard, Jimmy's got to be it. So we wrote it for Jimmy. And then we went to Jimmy and go, here's our idea. Here's what we'd like to do. Is this something you're interested in? And he goes, yeah, I could put up with you guys again. So, so okay, cool. So that was, so was, that was that. And then Maggie came from, you know, I had watched Psych, and Psych had such an unbelievable, like, Twitter fan base. loyal. I mean, millions and millions worldwide um, that adored that show, and everybody on that show, Roday, and, and, so I knew Maggie, and then, you know, it was just an audition process where we were looking for something very specific to play off of Jimmy, you know, because the woman in the show had to be able to hold her own against Jimmy Khan. That's no easy feat. Um, and Maggie came in and just, just murdered it. And so the, the minute she kind of left the room, we all knew she was going to be the gal. And now that show goes, and then it lasts the season. Yeah. And now you've been through... Where the show doesn't get picked up. Sure. What's it like for you? Because now you finally get the show. Oh, yeah. You're working with uh, yeah, I had an episode get on, too. I, I mean, yeah, what's it, it like for you, though, when, when, you, when it finds out that it's not coming back? Were you just like, oh, man, are we sitting there going, you know, yeah, you... you I was... To me, I was so thankful because of what had what I had just been through. But yeah, you, you do feel a bit disappointing. But really, my first thought was, I want to do more. Let's do more. You know, I got... I, you know, I was like, this is great. So, yeah, I mean... You know, I had a whole range of emotions when when we weren't when we weren't brought back. And then Mr. Robinson got came up pretty quickly, didn't it? Right after that, yeah. they had made a Mr. Robinson pilot, um, and they love Craig, and they still kind of love the idea, but wanted to try a different direction. And Mark and I became available, so we sat down at NBC, and you know, we had obviously known Craig and stayed friends with Craig for fifteen years, and Craig was my dad had passed away, but. It, a very common story for us was my dad was a huge football fan. He was a Rams fan, if you can believe it. And um, I would call my dad and say, you know, Pop, you want me to come up, bring some cheesesteaks? He'll go, no, Craig's here. You know, we're watching football. So my dad and Craig really hit it off. Okay. So uh, <laughs> Craig had been part of our lives for a very long time. So when the show, the opportunity came available, we sat down with Craig and his management team and said, you know, this is kind of what we're thinking. And, you know, if it skews with you and they go, we'd love to have you. And that kind of created that idea. And we just went, you know, kind of from there. It was loosely based on Craig's life. So, you know, we just rolled with it. And, you know, NBC ended up being good with it. And you came along on that show. I did. I did work on that show as well, yes. And now what's it like for you? Because you're going from, you know, Craig Robinson's a huge, huge uh, star at the time. You know, he still is. Yeah. And you're Jimmy Conn, but you're going through. It's a completely different, it's a completely different show because, yeah. you know, now you're writing for more of an ensemble absolutely so now yeah, when one was single camera one was one was for multi-cam so yeah so as a writer do you sit there are you feeling like you're growing or are you sitting there i mean you're oh, growing but, but are you also sitting there yeah. are you a little bit intimidated uh you know a little bit intimidated for sure but it's also like now is a different it's a different show so i get to do i get to do a whole nother you know for me it was another opportunity to learn something new and to to you know contribute to a completely different type of show and uh it was fantastic i have to be honest with you it was a, it was a really fun show to work on the riders were great 
everybody that worked on the show was great. The, the whole crew. So it was a really, really awesome experience. I have to, I have to, I have to say that was, I think, one of the funnest. Just, just generally fun experience. I watched it. It was a good show. I mean, I, you know, I sit there, I, I flipped around. I mean, I'm, I'm weird on my TV. Sure. Yeah. But I was, I enjoyed it. It was an odd show because it was splitting two worlds. You know, it was this nightclub adult world, and then it was the, the kids at school kind of world. But just in terms of the cast. And the vibe and the support at NBC yeah. was, it made life totally enjoyable. Because, you know, Craig's band, uh, Nasty, Nasty Delicious, Delicious, who were in the show, they would play live through the whole show. And then at the end of the show, we'd have a little, like, after party. A jam. And, a jam. And the band would play. And, you know, we had Earth, Wind, and Fire. And we had, you know, all these amazing acts would come and play with Craig at the end of the night. And we'd be sitting on the soundstage with friends and family and cast, and Earth, Wind, and Fire is playing. You know? And Craig Robinson, you know, it, it, was, just, it was just really cool. And Craig's, Craig's an unbelievable a, he's guy. funny, he's awesome, it's, you know, it was just a great experience. Now, now during this, when did your next, your, your movie hasn't come out yet. Now, when did that, when did that happen? Okay, did, so we had written a movie called, um, uh, what the hell was it called? Jack Sims was the original title a small movie about a um a private detective in venice and we had given the script to bruce because we've remained friends since cop out and we'd given it to him i think a year or so before and bruce was moving from the house he was living into his new place and he called up and he goes i just read this script again he goes we got to make it he goes i have a month in the summer this summer and we're talking you know three two and a half months away he goes let's just do it i go well um okay let's well, that's not a lot of prep so you know when bruce willis says he's in life becomes much easier in terms of financing it and selling it because bruce said i'll do it for no money and you know he did it for some money but he was like you guys will direct we'll get a great supporting cast around us and let's just go for it so we took it out that next couple days to a bunch of independent um, studios who all said yes. Um, and we ended up going with Voltage Pictures who, you know, kind of got what we were trying to do and the money was right. And so it was like, okay, go. You guys are in pre-production. And it just rolled. Now, did you find it easy, because you've been in TV for so long, translating over to directing a feature? I I did, you know, it was, show running is a million decisions a minute, you know, what's the wardrobe, what's the hair, what's this, is this funny enough, what's the joke, what's the out, how long are the act, you know, it's endless, the amount of stuff that's thrown at you, movies, it's, okay, all we gotta, you know, obviously the most important thing we have to do is cast this thing, you know, we're gonna shoot it all in location, so we don't have to worry about stages, and it, it just felt I don't want to say easier, but not, you know, not overwhelming. Just because I think being a showrunner for so long, you get so overwhelmed so often that this was more of a, oh, I can handle this. Now, the Mr. Robinson show, Craig Robinson show. Yes. Uh, very good ratings. Very, very good. It was their best summer rated show in a decade. So what happened? Um, I mean, did, did, did they give you a reason? I mean, it's, it, it was rated well. No, I think, you know... 
they had our show and the Carmichael show and decided to go with the Carmichael show. Again, it's one of those pick or choose kind of things. Um, I think the Carmichael show was better reviewed than our show was. Our show was, you know, it, it, it was exactly what it was. You know, it was Craig. It was fun. It was music. Um, I think the Carmichael show was dealing a little more topical. Um, and they were, again, very kind. They just said, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to pick you guys up for any more. And, you know... Having done this for so long, it's one of those things where you just go, well, that sucks. What's next? You know, because you have to have that thought process. So what is next? What are you got? Are you guys working on something right now? We are. We got a couple movies that we're almost finished with that we're getting ready to take out. And then we have a couple television shows that once kind of the pilot season is over, um, once we get through May um, and the networks start taking, you know, Guys in again, we're going to uh, knock their doors down and pitch a couple. We have a half hour and an hour. Now, what's it like working with someone new? I mean, because it's, you know, you've been with your brother for a long time. Now you're someone new and, and you're someone that, you know, it's it's a Mets fan, and so you know. It's, it's a, <laughs> hey, we, went, we got to the World Series know, last year. We lost. No, that's what sucks. You guys are good now, and then the Phillies suck, and the Phillies aren't. I watched the game. I don't even know who's on the Phillies. I, 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 Ryan I, Howard, some catcher, and I don't know who else. I was watching. I, I looked at the box score, and I was like, I don't, I don't know any of these people. I don't. I don't, I don't know, know any of them. And it's like you know, Carlos Ruiz. Yeah, that's and, it. And he's like done. Yeah, totally. And Howard's done. done, and Cliff Lee's done. Done. And, but so now, so now, how did you choose to work with him? Did you guys just hit it off good, or what happened? We have been now. I mean, best friends for better than a decade now so it's not like uh starting from scratch you know he'd been part of the last couple shows he was part of the last movie we did the bruce movie um and it was a it was for me a very easy transition you know mark wanted to you know i wanted to take a little time off after the movie mark is mark's a killer man mark is a working killer you know, and it's for him, it's very much what's next. You know, Bernie Brillstein was our manager for a very long time. And his advice was always have 10 things going because nine are going to fall through and the 10th one they're going to fuck you on. So Mark is very much of that that mindset. You know, Mark is an incredible writer, incredible producer and director. And he just wanted to keep going. I needed a minute after back in the game and then Robinson and then the movie. That was a rough three years, just in terms of the amount of production and the amount of time. And I was just beat down. So I needed some time off, and he didn't. And so he just kept pounding away, and he's doing unbelievable right now. And I just wanted to kind of step away and see, you know, am I just physically tired, or do I not want to do this anymore right now? And after, you know, some time off and talking with Scott, it was like, no, I still want to do this, but let's kind of figure this out let's see what this could be if it's anything and we, you know we're not going to know until we sell something and you know get after it together so after some time away mark's doing his thing with our producing partner laura ford and scott and i decided to kind of write some stuff down and we spent a week together and had the most unbelievable time well yeah must be must be weird also because you're you're stepping into yeah you know, it's like I said when the uh, when Charlie Hayes stepped into Mike Schmidt's shoes. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like you know Charlie Absolutely. Hayes. Charlie Hayes was a good player, but he wasn't Mike Schmidt. Now you're stepping, uh, and yeah. they also have, even though you're friends, they also have the brotherly connection. Absolutely, yeah. I can't say I'm stepping in anyone's shoes because Mark's shoes are huge, and he's a great guy. You know, it's just I just love what I'm doing, and you know, we're just going to be looking. Look we're just having to, fun. We make yeah, each other yeah. laugh for right now. We might 
tear each other apart <laughs> in a month. Who knows? We make each other laugh right now. We're having a good time hanging out, and we're writing funny stuff for us. Right. You know, it can't be about we're going to try to design a show that does this or a product that does this or an area that does this. It's more about what makes us laugh. And let's just put it down on paper because that's what we do anyway because we hang out almost every day. Now, do you guys set a time to write? Like, is it? Uh, do you have like a schedule, oh, or, yeah. do you, or do you just call and say, "Hey, you know what, man? I got to get." Let's. I mean, how do you do it? Do you sit there at ten a.m. every morning? Go to the coffee shop in the marina, and we sit there and we have our coffee, and he has the blueberry scone, and I have the croissant. <laughs> And uh, we drink the coffee, and we're not allowed to say a word to each other until 10.30 because I'm not a morning person. And then we get the coffee, and then we start talking. And then we start talking, and I'll throw an idea, and he'll throw an idea, and then we'll come up with some jokes off that idea, and we'll think about, wow, this character. Because everything has to come inevitably from character. If it doesn't, you're screwed. If it comes off a, a premise or a joke, you're fucked. So it has to be, who's this character, and how is this character flawed, and what's interesting about it, and where do we both come from on this? Yeah. And why are we kind of connected to it? And we just go from there. Yeah, the discussion becomes after we, you know, the first day where we think about it, the discussion is the next day. After you spend the day on it, you know, it's it's uh, it's a process, of course. And, you know, where else do you meet better characters than at a coffee shop, too? I mean, if you need some inspiration, uh, you know, it's a pretty interesting place to be. How, much, sure. how much does it piss you off, like these guys who just <laughs> sit there and act like they're writing? There's a guy that hangs in this Burbank <laughs> store. And this guy, I, I, I don't really stop at Starbucks. There was one in Burbank. Every once in a while, I walk by. Sure. And I'll go, you know, if I go to Noah, to get a bagel and I'm sitting there and uh, there's this guy I knew him years ago and he always had, he's been sitting at the same stool and he's he's never sold anything and he always tells a story how you know he's suing Star Wars because they some one of the right. things they the stole characters things. Has. and and I go and I sit there and go I mean how do you guys do it when you're when you're actual writers how do you sit there and go when it's just some idiot, not the guys who are trying, no. but just you know the idiot who's posing that must drive you up the wall. Well, there's two ways to look at it. One, you're either built for the uh, insane amount of rejection that you're going to get in this business or you're not now if you're built for it you keep writing you know you keep coming up with ideas you keep coming up you if you haven't sold anything in 10 years you have to be introspective and say obviously it's something i'm doing obviously i'm not pitching it well i'm not writing it well how can i get better at that then there are the people who cannot handle rejection. And there are, you know, the city's f filled with a million, two million, five million people who have one screenplay. Okay? It's filled with 80 people who have 12. Right. You know what I mean? And that's the real difference. If you have that one screenplay that you're absolutely guaranteed is going to sell at some point, you're fucked. It's never going to happen. It's put it away. What's next? What's next? If you write... If you're a writer, you write. That's what you do. That's your job. If you have one thing that you're hanging on to so dearly because you're so proud of yourself that you finished one thing, that's fine. But that's as far as it goes. It does not go anywhere else. It's not only a matter of time. It's right. not going to happen. You learn not to be precious. I mean, at all. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. You, you can't be. Best joke wins, best line wins, best scenario wins, best story wins. You have to do that. Otherwise, you make yourself crazy if you think you have the answer for everything. You don't. We have only a few minutes left. Yeah. Uh, I got to ask you this now. Now, do you do you do you watch the Eagles games with them, and do you root for the Eagles? Uh, you know, you know what? Uh, no, no. <laughs> to, to answer to both, I'm in lockdown yeah, when I watch. I, I, I don't want to watch the Eagles with him because he's a very big. 
you know, you, you, you're an Eagles fan, so you know what it's like. Oh, I yeah. mean, Jets fans, we're we're you know we're pretty out there, but I mean, Eagles fans are over the top. It's, now there is a now we there has been a time where we've gone to to this this uh, place in Santa Monica, uh, the Eagles. Bar. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Daniel yeah, Silver, yeah. Silver Salvatore. Yeah, I ran to him at the uh, Arizona game. We, we know him. We, we know Danny. Danny. Yeah, we know Dan. <laughs> I got to wrap this up. All right. Yeah, yes, yeah. Now, do you guys tweet? Did, are, you, are you guys on Twitter? Yeah, I'm yeah. on Twitter at Rob C- two B's R O B B C Y L E N. Rob at Rob Cullen, and I'm at Scotty Hodges. Scotty with a Y. Well, I know you tweet a lot. Uh, you know, occasionally. Right, well, people check them out, and also go to the IMDb and look them up, and look at their shows. Go watch their shows because they're good shows. Go watch the movies. <laughs> go <laughs> support this. Go support it. You know, not the maybe not the Jets fan. Not Jets, sorry, but the Mets fan. But, but support, <laughs> support the Philly guy because we're going to go Flyers. Exactly, go Flyers. People, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. It's at Cooper Talk. Also, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have a. Uh, God, I have like 485 episodes up there. So go out there, check it out. Also, uh, send me an email, Cooper. CooperTalk.net. I will get back to you. If you have iTunes or if you have Stitcher, once again, the same thing, CooperTalk. But follow me on Twitter, at CooperTalk, because I tweet the shit out of the uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, debates because they just are cracking me up. I mean, it's just, I, for? Uh, I'm going to vote for Bernie. Okay. But uh, I'm gonna, I, I just tweet out of them. And uh, yeah, so follow them. And also, people, go to my other website, StopTheSalt.com. Remember when I had that uh, heart problem? Well, I had to get better. And so I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 easy recipes, low sodium. Easy to make. No pictures because you get intimidated by pictures. No major ingredients. There's no major spices. If you don't, there's nothing with cumin. So don't worry if you don't have cumin. I now have cumin. I never had cumin, but I have cumin now. So buy it. You can go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com and buy it. But if you buy it from me, because I sold a whole 80 copies, you can uh, sit there and uh, I'll sign it for you and I make more money. So please do that. So please follow Rob Collin, Rob Collin, Scotty Hodges. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. And the Eagles, I'm telling you, this is going to be a good year. And we say that every year. So Rob's going, yeah, it's going to be a great year. Out of boy, Howie Roseman. Get rid of everybody. Exactly. So you guys have a great day. And I'll talk to you guys next week.